Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Just, I'm over 21. <laughs> if you go to any beer page or vodka page, that's all it is. Yeah, just, just say, yes, I'm over 21 and that's it. I suppose we're going to get to a point at some point where it's going to scan your driver's license or, or uh, scan your cell phone or something like that. Yeah, don't kind of worry. ID. We'll have to type in our social security number and government-issued PIN code. You know, put in a thumbprint, too. And, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're sounding way too lone gunman. Well, <laughs> I very much think we're, we're not too far from that. I mean, we've taken steps in that direction already. You can't, I mean... It, you need to verify your age just to just to look at a beer website. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, can you believe this? We've made it to episode three. Yeah, we are episode three. They told us that it wouldn't happen. Exactly, and people are uh, people are listening. The feedback has been great, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep bringing shows and. Uh, uh, nothing but fun doing this, and it's uh, great to be back here in the studio after after more than a month since the last show. Yeah. Anyways, welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. I'm George. And with us is our engineer, Sean. Special uh, blend of brains of the operation. Great to have you. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. <laughs> wow, what a month it's been. At the time of this recording, it is the end of June of 2015. The Blackhawks are Stanley Cup champions once again. <laughs> gay marriage was legalized nationwide today. Yeah, and we have brewed uh, two different large batches since the time of this uh, of this uh, last recording. Have we made four beers since the last recording? Let's let, well, let's let's no work, no let's no, no. we made that. we made two we made two right this week, yeah yeah the two this past weekend yeah wow. What a month it's been, and we've uh, we spent a spent a good week on vacation in Key West. That uh, may or may not come up in the first segment on one of our uh, uh, brews reviewed. Right here, I got it. Yeah, George's, <laughs> George's got it. So we've got a lot to talk about on this show. This is a, this is going to be a good one. Thanks for joining us, and uh, I think we'll just uh, dive into our first uh, segment. As as always, our first segment is. Uh, uh, other brews reviewed, uh, where we talk about uh, beers that we enjoyed or didn't enjoy over the past month, and I'll ask my partner here, George, to uh, kick us off. Oh, okay. Um, I am going to start with one that I had whilst traveling through Pennsylvania. It's made by Southern Tier Brewing Company, and it's called Chocolate Orange in a very French-style lettering, and. This is a, I believe it was a porter or stout. Uh, it's a very dark 10% beer that tastes very much like it, if, if you've ever had those, uh, those chocolate oranges that you, you smack on the table and they break apart into orange slices, it tastes exactly like that. So if that's something that you're into, if that's a kind of flavor that you like, this is excellent. Um, just know that again, it's a 10% uh, beer, so it's a very easy drinking one, but it will kind of knock you on your ass if you're not careful. 10% chocolate and orange. Yes. There's a lot going on with that. There is. Um, yeah, they, uh, it, 
it it was one of the last ones we had that night, and uh, and and we kind of had to stumble back to the car a little bit. Okay. Hopefully that ended safely. I assume it did. I, I was not driving. Okay. So, okay. so we're good. good. We're good. good. So that was the chocolate orange. What about your uh, your first one? First one. Starting back from uh, what we were talking about earlier, we spent some vacation time in Florida since the last recording. I'm going to talk about one of the brews that we had uh, locally in Key West, Florida. We had a beer called Key West Southernmost Wheat Beer. Yeah. Made by Florida Beer Company out of Cape Canaveral, Florida. It was uh, sold in a bottle. I can't remember if we came across this beer on tap or not, but I definitely remember many retail stores having this uh, the same blend. Yeah, I don't remember seeing it on tap. I think we just had it in the bottle. That would have been, that would have been interesting to have them side by side. I imagine it'd be a great tap beer. I imagine. A um, couple things about it. Uh, had a mild hop flavor to it. Had a distinct wheat uh, sweetness to it. And being that we just came off of our uh, first wheat beer that we had brewed, it brought a lot of those flavors back to mind um, after uh, after the first couple of sips. The uh, one thing that, um, that was a standout in this was the taste of the key limes. And Key West, uh, key limes grow in abundance there, and they made use of this with, uh, with this wheat beer. And wheat beer is a good base to include flavors such as citrus flavors because the wheat will absorb very easily so it was a good blend and it was a, and it was a good flavor if you like uh, if you like citrus uh, beers this took very well it was a enjoyable smooth beer and it was well worth having a couple of them yeah so uh, that one I liked because I'm, I'm not a, I, I, I am of the opinion that citrus has no place in beer. Okay. So uh, that one I actually liked because it was not overpowering in its citrus aspects. It wasn't like, you know, bam, there's lime or, you know, citrus, heavy citrus flavor. But it was there enough that you could taste it. I really I really like that one. Would it be fair to say it was more wheat than lime? Yeah, oh, way more wheat than lime. Which I is, agree. Yeah. I agree. And I, and I think that balance was exactly where it should have been. Because I agree. I like citrus flavors, but if it's overwhelming you're not going to want to have more than one because your lips are going to be puckering the entire time. Right, exactly. So, so I'm going to also talk about a uh, experience that we had in Florida at probably one of our favorite bars called The Porch. Yes. Um, this was an interesting experience. We went one night for a beer tapping for a brewery called Funky Buddha, and they had a number of different breakfast-themed beers, like French toast beer and things like that. So what the bar decided to do was to have a Saturday morning cartoon night. Uh, the bartender and uh, a couple of other people showed up in pajamas. They had Saturday morning cartoons running on the TV. They had a DJ that came in and spun theme songs from Saturday morning cartoons, and they had cereal and pop tarts as the bar snacks um along with you know the beers that they were tapping and things like that it, it was a great night it was it, it was just a great night it totally worked people came out for it the place was jammed yeah everybody packed. everybody loved it yeah and, and the beers were unique breakfast theme as george had mentioned i uh, i know which one he's he's going to talk about and i'll, I'll i'll uh, guess throw out the spoiler it's a uh, it's a french toast flavored uh, porter no, is that correct? not it was not a porter. What was? Well, it? no, that's not the one I'm talking about. Oh, that's one that we had, and it was it was 
I'm still trying to decide if it was good or not, but it was definitely very unique, and it did very much taste like French toast. I have no idea how they pulled that off. But um, the one I was going to talk about is I'm So Excited, I'm So Scared, which I don't know if you remember this. This was a Russian Imperial Stout. So again, this was another 10.2% beer. I do remember that one, and it tasted all of that 10.2%. Yes, it did. It was very, very heavy on the alcohol, but um, normally Imperial Stouts are not my cup of tea just because they're so alcohol forward. And this one did a very good job of balancing it. And I think the vanilla and the, uh, I think there was some coffee notes in there too, really helped to balance that. Um, it was 40 IBUs, so not, not, not hoppy, but not overly hoppy, which was nice. And it, it, like you said, it was all of 10% alcohol. So, uh, that one I believe has, there's a, uh, if I remember correctly, there's a uh, Saved by the Bell reference in there don't remember that yeah i think i remember it's unfortunately and yes i know i'm dating myself (laughs) with that statement was it in the advertisement of it or how no it was in one of the episodes when one of them was i think hooked on um like no dose or something like that but anyway uh (laughs) (laughs) i watched it too yeah we we all did we're we're in that age range we're up in the 90s what can i say exactly (laughs) We, we all did um, but yeah, so along with that one, there was the, there was a blood orange. Yes. Which was very good. Um, and again, the, when they strive for a flavor, they really nailed it. They, you know, the French toast one tastes like French toast. Blood, blood orange, blood orange, and you know, and those kinds of things. So it was a very unique tasting, but it was, it was, it was very good. It was. Yeah. It was. Craft, craft beer kind of defined with that because they were very unique flavors not like anything we'd uh, we'd had before the one thing I, re- I mean I remember a couple things about that night that really stand out one the theme of that place was so much fun and so unique it was it was such a such an enjoyable night being out there second of all the beers themselves were some of the sweetest beers I've ever had oh I mean, can we was, take can we take a tangent here real quick? I know sure. This is, this is not course, the one that you uh, want to talk about, I'm sure. But I feel, and it's not even a beer, but I feel like we got to talk about Vikings blood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we absolutely can talk about Vikings blood. <laughs> this, this, is, was, this is a detour from our three, but it's a detour worth taking. <laughs> We're going to do it. What a, what percentage was that? That was really high, it's, wasn't it's it? It's gonna take. Tra- it'll take a second for me to look up. I do have it in my phone. Yeah, yeah. But this was a was it a hibiscus mead? It was a mead. I, I'll have to I'll have to check what type it was. Okay. Why don't you talk about your next one and I'll I'll look it up. But it's, pause. It okay. is in untapped. It is. Okay. It is in untapped. Okay. So, unpause. <laughs> So, segue. So, <laughs> okay. This pa- we're gonna pause again because okay. I just had flashbacks of uh, again, a friggin' Saved by the Bell, Zach Morris when he used to. Just, oh like, shit! Yeah, time, time up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna leave that in the episode just for that very reason. That's perfect. Whoa, time up. <laughs> At this time, you might think I would. Uh, Oh, well. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, Time in. Time in. (laughs) 
For my second beer, I'm going to talk about a beer that's become fairly common here in the Midwest. The beer I'm talking about is called Founders Dirty Bastard, made by Founders Brewery in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Founders Dirty Bastard is classified as a heavy scotch ale with an alcohol percentage of 8.5%. It's, um, it's a thick uh, Scottish ale, or I'm sorry, it's a, it's a thick scotch ale and uh, it's a very unique flavor to it. It's got a nice sweetness to it that resembles butterscotch that a lot of people have, uh, have kind of uh, attributed to it. Um, it's a deep brown color. It's very sweet and it's got a nice, nice malty smell to it. Uh, it's, really a, it's really a solid beer. It's a unique beer and it's, it's one you'd want to keep coming back to. Very good. Okay. I found the information about Viking's Blood. Viking's Blood. It is a 20% mead with hibiscus in it. It's a meat, honey wine, I think they called it technically, but that's basically a mead. Right. And uh, and it was a hibiscus, had hibiscus in it as well. But this was served in shot glasses, and it, it was just phenomenal. And... What was the story? The one guy came in with his girlfriend, or, or she might have come in solo, and she found Viking's blood and realized it was made in the town next door to where she lived, because she was from that area. I remember that. And yep. she downed an entire bottle of this stuff, and then said, made some crude comment about going back to to her boyfriend and the bartender was just like let's do a shot to that guy because he didn't have a choice <laughs> <laughs> we ought to do a special episode where we just talk talk start to finish about mead yeah because I'm, I'm learning i'm learning piece by piece things about mead more so just recently and it's really interesting as a matter of fact there's a place right here in the area that we've been to on a number of occasions that i just learned this week has a mead menu oh yeah yeah the um um, the uh, Bavarian Lodge. Oh, okay. Has a menu of like seven or eight different meads. Okay. So, so for my last one, I think it's my turn, right? It is. For my last one, um, I'm going to talk about another one that I I ran into when I was back in Pennsylvania. It's called Cascazilla, and it is a seven percent, um, kind of strong wheat kind of beer. Uh, good hop character a little a little strong on the hops but um the body was it was good medium body beer kind of thing so it was very good um could definitely have a couple of them and it wouldn't it wouldn't be too overwhelming there's actually three different types of hops in it and it's dry hopped with two more so there's cascade chinook and amarillo in the in the in the boil and when they're making it and then they dry hop it with more cascade and amarillo and what what class of beer is this you know it doesn't say off the top but that's a lot of hops that is a good amount of hops that's so, i mean that that would resemble an ipa I'd, I'd almost be surprised if it isn't it does resemble an ipa but it also doesn't say what it's uh what the quantities of the hops are or what the IBUs are so if they're late additions, it, it it might not be too high. It'd just be aromas. I, so I don't remember the hop character being terribly in your face, so it might not be a full IPA. That's a testament to the brewers. Yeah. I mean, having that have, having that many hops in it and not having an overwhelming hop characteristic. Yeah. I, I would I would say job well done. 
Oh, you know what? The, in their little description here, it says it's a hoppy red ale. Hoppy red ale. Hoppy red ale. That's what it was. That brings back some memories. It does a little bit. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess you know. I'm guessing it was a lot of late editions, just because of you know the fact that it wasn't an IPA and it wasn't super hoppy. So I didn't. It wasn't as red as say the one that we made. Um, so I guess that's why it didn't stand out to me that way. But it it was it was good. Good deal. Yeah. Good deal. Well, to uh, wrap this up, I'm going to talk about a beer that I just had for the first time last night. This was uh, this was gifted to me from a friend of mine in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I have to admit, uh, this is not a um, video podcast, but uh, we may have to upload this image because I tell you, the best thing I can say about this beer is the uh, artwork on the label, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> okay. He's got props. <laughs> <laughs> The name of this beer is called Plumber's Crack Ale. It's made by Black Box Brewing Company out of Westlake, Ohio. This is an American Pale Ale. Let me get to a couple notes that I had uh, made on this. I don't know too much about this brewery. This was, again, this was gifted to me from a friend of mine. Um, the only beer I've had from this brewery is this one. Um, what I know about it is this. Uh, this is American Pale Ale. The uh, alcohol percentage is 4.5. I would describe it as a light-bodied, slightly citrus uh, flavor um, that's really distinct on the front end, and then just seems to vanish before it gets to kind of the back of your throat where it becomes uh, more of a bitter flavor. Not quite IPA-type uh, type bitter, but that's kind of the last effect that you feel right, uh, right at the end of the drink. Um, the bottle, I'm not sure how this happened, but the bottle was very, very carbonated. I had to pour this thing in increments because there was so much carbonation that, that came up from pouring this. I'm not sure if that's unique to how it came to me or there's something in the brew process that uh, kind of brought that up. Not totally something you would kind of expect from an American Pale Ale, but I just thought yeah. I'd throw that out there. Um, overall, not a bad beer. Uh, for, a, for a light-bodied Pale Ale, not bad. Oh, one other thing. This would be a... I would really, really like to try this as a beer side by side with it, with it off a tap, because I'm wondering just how much that carbonation factor would be a would be a, would be an effect if it uh, came off of a CO2 tap. That'd be that'd be a unique uh, uh, taste to try. So, beers that we had. Yeah. So more to report on next month, um, and I don't know if we'll have any other colorful stories like like. Uh, Saturday morning cartoons at the bar, but we'll, we'll do our best. You know, we, we just we need to f go out and find something we'll, that unique too. We'll have to go get in trouble we, and then uh, we will and report let's, on it. Let's so. make that a target before yeah. before episode four. We need to find a, a night of that type of uniqueness. Maybe not Saturday morning <laughs> cartoons exact, but something yeah. unique like that. Right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. After school specials, or yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or Saved by the Bell. Maybe this is Saved by, by the, the Bell. Bell. Yeah, why not? <laughs> We're going to take a short break. We're going to be uh, we're going to be back and we're just uh, talk about our brewing activities over the last month. So stay with us. Welcome back to episode 3 of A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. I'm George. And we are segueing into our next uh, topic, which will be our activities of the last month. 
We have brewed uh, two different batches of beer in the past month, and we're going to talk to you in detail about uh, about each of them. Yeah, this is actually a good preview to um, to our third uh, to our uh, third segment as well, where we're going to talk about uh, our lesson for the month, which we're going to I'll I'll, uh, so I'll spoil that early and say we're going to talk about uh, the difference between uh, extract brewing and all grain brewing, and in the two brews that we made uh, this month, uh, it represents that separation because we did one extract brew and we did one uh, and we did one all grain so uh, we can talk about the differences a little little bit later on but uh, we're going to talk about our uh, our experience uh, in this one so we're going to start off with the extract uh, beer that we made which uh, George uh, is a whiskey barrel stout which came out of a uh, brewer's best kit and uh, it's currently uh, com completing its fermentation, uh, about ready for uh, secondary fermentation, and uh, we think it'll be a good one. We do. Um, so this one is is kind of bourbon, bourbon or whiskey barrel without the barrel. Um, so we had a number of different fermentables that we put into uh, the boil and steeped them for a while. So there was some special dark, uh, I'm sorry, the specialty grains were roasted barley dark chocolate um, grains as well as 90 level bond caramel which level bond is the color rating and we can get into that in another episode and 90 just for reference is a pretty high number pretty high number yeah um so we steeped those in the water for a little while and this is an extract brew um but in some of those extract brews you will find that you'll do this sometimes you'll steep them in the water and to kind of impart some of those characteristics from the grains and such. And then we ripped open some uh, syrup, very syrupy containers containing special dark and light um, liquid malt extract and dumped those in. Right. Uh, we also added some amber dry malt extract, which uh, contributes to the body and gives it a little bit more to use a technical term, oomph, to to the beer, and then proceeded to boil those for a while. This one was a very, very low IBU. I think it comes out at 35. There was only a total of one ounce of hops in the whole thing. Done on two different additions from what I remember. Yep. So there was half an ounce of magnum and half an ounce of cluster, and then... It came with the dry yeast, which most of the, which actually all the kits I've seen come with dry yeast, which we pitched on top of the, on top of the beer for the fermentation. So this one wasn't, uh, you know, uh, this is where we started. We already started with a lot of extract brews and we did those for a little while before we decided to move on to all grain. So this is a little bit of a blast from the past and um, nice way to we actually ended the day with this uh, as it was a very long brew day it, w it was I, I, you know, I should I should have started with that too this was uh, we uh, we brewed both brews on the same day yes as part of the Alzheimer's longest day uh, recognition uh, do a thing you like and do it all day um, as is uh, kind of in unison with uh, some people nationwide and George and I just happen to like to make beer, so we can we can make beer on, a, on the longest day. <laughs> yes, sure. And we did, uh, yeah. So it's meant to kind of be in a little bit of an analog for people having to take people take care of people 
all day from sunup to sundown who have who have Alzheimer's, and so yeah, it's kind of it's really important to my family and and myself. So we decided to do this, and so we um, it turned out to be you know it's something that we love, and it's some, not something that is overly demanding most of the times but i don't know about you but when i was done with the night i collapsed I, it was, oh yeah i was i was done for when i got home yeah it was, it was they they called the longest day and we we planned that day totally appropriately because mm. we i think we're both in the same boat we were just done yeah we've got a great picture that we took at the end of the day too <laughs> with george and i keeled over uh, right over a table with three car boys because we were just done <laughs> So we ended up making 15 gallons. This was five gallons of it. So it's fermenting right now. Actually, I think it might be done at this point, but uh, it's finishing up. It's fermenting, and then we're going to rack it on top of whiskey barrel chips that uh, they took took a whiskey barrel and chopped it up, and so we're going to put it into the secondary on top of the whiskey barrel chips and let it sit for about a month to get some uh, as much of the flavor of that out as it can. It's good timing for this too because we've we've do, we've we've been doing all grain brewing for upwards of six months now, and this is really the most complex extract brew that we've put together because the it's ones true. that we've done have been pretty straightforward for the most part. I mean, having a unique flavor like wood chips is something we haven't done thus far. Yeah, so I'm really excited to see how this is going to turn out. Um, so far, the did you know from what we were smelling during the during the brewing and what I've seen during the fermenting it looks like it's uh, coming together as a solid stout so when we you know like I said rack it on top of the um, on top of the whiskey chips and let it sit for a while get some of that flavor in there hopefully it'll be it'll be you know be a, be really good should be a good one yeah long fermentation and uh, it'll be it'll be well worth it yeah yeah so, moving back to all grain, we redid our flagship this month, and we came into a bit of an issue, which which <laughs> will uh, which we'll describe uh, later on in the segment. But uh, our uh, our all grain brew for uh, for this month was going back to the Belgian triple, which we did originally as an extract upwards of a year ago. We remade as one of our first all grain recipes earlier this year. Um, came out great enjoyed the heck out of it couldn't wait to, to do it again this is our third time making it and like I said it was uh, is kind of our flagship one we definitely uh, look forward to, to doing repeatedly absolutely so this one is kind of a uh, guarded secret uh, as far as the uh, the exact recipe but we'll share some of the information with you here uh, it starts out with a Pilsen base and we have on top of that to add some color since Pilsen is extremely light. Um, to add some color, we put in what's called Kara 8. It's a caramel um, grain with 8 level bond. Uh, and then ideally, we also put in, and so that was the mash. We mashed it with those. And then when we went into the boil, uh, we used Styrian Golding and uh, Czech Saz in the boil. Uh, ideally, we'd also use candy sugar, um, and we'll get into why I'm saying ideally here in a second. And in this one, we went a little uh, off script and decided to add some coriander seed to add a little bit of spice to it. So we'll see how that goes, and 
Hopefully that'll turn out. Uh, right now it's busily fermenting. It's been doing that since Sunday and it's still um, keeping pace and doing about 90 bubbles a second. I mean, uh, not a second, but a, a minute. So it's it's still got quite a bit to go before it's ready to be put into the secondary. It's a high-gravity beer, so it's, it's it definitely is. one that has a very active fermentation process. Yes, it is. It's it's gravity you're looking at somewhere around, like, I, th- I think ideally it's 1083. That's what I remember, too. I think it was 1083. Yeah, so it's going to take a little while for it to uh, ferment out and be ready to go. Let's talk about the sugar. Let's talk about the sugar. Okay. Um, The boil edition called for the addition of two pounds of candy sugar as part of the initial boil pitch. Right. So once you're finished mashing, the wort is all uh, drained back into the brew kettle. The sugar is supposed to go in right away, right at the time that you you hit that boiling point. So you have a good 60 minutes with the wort um, and and the sugar in combination, just kind of doing the thing in the boil. as we mentioned before, this was part of the uh, longest brew day, and this was a bit of a friends and family event for for George and I, and uh, became you know, a, a social event, and um, we just missed it. Yeah, that's that's all we can say about it. We we just missed it, and um, we didn't notice that the sugar was was there for us to use until uh, at the time that we were chilling down the wort at the very end of the boil. So in the process of kind of kicking ourselves, we, uh, the, the question you have to ask is, what can we do? Or I guess two questions. Number one, what beer do we now have? Because we just boiled a beer and, and chilled a beer that didn't have its, you know, its core ingredient. And second of all, what do we now do? Do right. we accept this beer for what it is? Or do we try to do something with, uh, with the sugar that we still have? Yeah, so we kind of... Panicked, got depressed for a little bit. Called up the guys over at Metal Monkey to for some advice. Friends of ours, Dan, Dan and Brett, guys are great. Yeah, and then um, decided to kind of split the difference. So what we did was we took, I believe, half a gallon of water and boiled that with one pound of candy sugar, and then let that cool. And so when we transferred it over to our carboys, we have two six and a half gallon carboys so in each carboy there is about five gallons of beer so in one of the carboys we put in the sugar water and the other one we did not so what we're going to do is we're going to now allow them to ferment separately from go into the secondary separately and be bottled separately and then we're going to do them side by side and see how they came out one's got sugar one does not yeah. There's going to be a gravity difference, too. And I, there is. I, I wish we had a way of getting a gravity reading from when we did the uh, sugar addition at the very end. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's going to be pretty close to the 1080, uh, 1083 that we're, we were looking at. One would think. The, the one that does not have the sugar in it was 1073, um, which is right on track for where it should be if you did not add the sugar. True. So um, they both came out very well. We had good, um, uh, you know, our, our efficiency was good and the, um, you know, everything about the recipe came together except for, you know, the missing ingredient. So hopefully, you know, we'll be able to try those side by side and, you know, it might be a happy accident that we find out that 
you know, whatever beer we have that doesn't have the sugar in it, whatever that's defined as, maybe we like that better and we can tune towards that. This will be a this will be a good topic to bring up on the beginning of the next show too, because this is really a unique uh, occurrence where such a core ingredient just uh, just got missed, and we uh, made a made a try at least at least at correcting half of it. There's definitely a good lesson to take away from this once once it's all done. Yeah, you know, I will say that the fermenting between the two is dramatically different. Did we talk about the yeast already? Did we say no. what uh, what we pitched? Let's let, let's talk about that. Okay, we. Uh, the uh, yeast for this recipe calls for um, two editions of Omega 040, uh, which is a wet yeast, and then two editions of uh, two Safeale 05 editions, which is a dry yeast. So you have one of each in each carboy is, is what it comes out to right now. And this is the first time that we're trying this, and we did this at the advice of some of our friends from the Joliet Brewers Guild. We were encouraged to make use of an early edition of olive oil mm-hmm. prior to doing a yeast pitch as kind of an accelerant for the fermentation process. Which has had a dramatic effect. Um, the olive oil is, uh, you know, it adds that those fatty acids that you would usually have if you go through and oxygenate and try to pull those out of the liquid. So just adding a single drop of olive oil into each carboy uh, has really accelerated the fermentation process quite a bit. Took off within, uh, usually it takes about, usually if we brew it on Sunday, pitch, and then it's so usually starting to day, ferment. Usually, isn't it? usually by Tuesday, it, it really okay. takes off. Okay. Uh, this took off early Monday. And, you know, that just is a testament to the effect that that had. Um, so, the. I, like I was saying, the, the the fermentation of these two has been dramatically different. The one that we pitched the sugar in has been much more aggressive. The you know when you when you have fermenting wort, you'll have the the wort inside the fermenter uh, you know roil around as it were and kind of kick up sediment and that kind of thing. Right. In the in the one that did not have the sugar, you saw some of that. It was more subtle and it was you know kind of moving some stuff around. When it did have the sugar, the the yeast were really, I mean, that's their jam. And they were, uh, you know, it was was really agitated and kicking up things. And it got, um, you you could see the the trub and the the sediment kind of kicking up through and such. And so it was, it's very interesting, the differences between the two. It's going to be a regular thing, I think, in the the future with, uh, with fermentation. With the olive oil? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that was a... Good call by our buddy Mike, and uh, I think it was. We are roughly right about at the five-day mark uh-huh. uh, of this fermentation, and as you were saying earlier, we're still at about ninety bubbles per minute. You think? Yeah, yeah. Just doing some quick, you know, timing in my head when I was bored on a conference call. Okay. Okay. I mean, listening intently on a conference call. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it's still. I mean, it's 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 still, you know, in in prime in the primary stages of fermentation. So See, it's trying, got a little bit to go. I'm trying to remember uh, the la- the last uh, triple that we did um, as the all grain. I seem to remember that primary fermentation being about ten days. It might have been. Am I yeah. making that up? I don't know if you are or not, but I, I remember it being a little bit longer than the other ones, yeah. We're saving potentially days 
using this. Oh yeah, is probably what it's going to come out to be. Yeah, so I, I'm I've, thinking. You know, it might it might even be by Sunday, but it's going to be very early next week that we'll be able to move it over to the secondary. Definitely one to keep using. Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. Um, we also use the World Flock as we talked about on the last show. Um, World Flock is going to be a regular uh, going forward as well. Um, we're looking at some of our recent brews and um, the cloudiness that we've seen in, in uh, past beers that we've made uh, seems to have been corrected and uh, the ongoing sediment issue looks like it's been corrected also. So it appears that the answer to this lies in two World Flock tablets that you use for, uh, for, uh, for each carboy. Now, as a note to that, we did not put it in the extract. Good, good point. It doesn't good seem point. to be necessary with extract brews, I think, because, you know, you don't have the proteins and whatnot hanging around that you do from the all-grain mashing. So, um, so in the extract, we did not put any whirl flock in. Good point. Okay. <laughs> so That's, uh, that is the, uh. That is our June activity. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got a Belgian triple. We've got uh, we've got the uh, wood chip flavored stout. We uh, will uh, start the secondary pro uh, secondary fermentation very quickly, and uh, we'll we'll look forward to tasting those. Yeah, and we'll let you guys know how the uh, the side by side comparison works. And we also plan on doing another brew day in the near future for the triple, and to actually you kind of do the recipe right. And so we can kind of do a side by side by side to see how they how all three turned out. Um, not sure if it's going to be like, oh, well, we definitely like this one, or if we figure out that we kind of like all three for different reasons, or what it might be. It's the triple. It will certainly be drank. Yeah, it's going to be good regardless. So we're just going to have to bite the bullet and drink more beer exactly so, you know it may fuel the next episode you'll have to, have to tune in and find out <laughs> so we're gonna segue into our third uh, segment which will be uh, the future which we'll, we'll talk about our uh, our lesson for the month which as i previewed earlier it will be uh, uh extract versus all grain brewing so stay with us Welcome back to A Nice Place to Brew. I am Jason, and I am drinking a Saison. I am George, and I think I'm also drinking a Saison. And it's pretty damn good, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Saison's still not my favorite style, but this one is definitely growing on me. We said it before, but I tell you, the addition of the uh, ginger and coriander seed is pretty solid. Yeah, it is. It kind of, it's not in your face, but it's definitely there. For sure. For sure. Uh, We need to teach some stuff, don't we? Oh, yeah, okay. We do, yeah. Extract versus all grain. Yeah, so this one's going to be a little bit more... There's a lot to be said about this topic. Theoretical. It, it is. Yeah. It is. Because in the end, you have beer. Right. With, with both sides. And this is really a lesson to anybody who's homebrewing out there. I, I suppose it's probably a good starting point to mention that all commercial brewing is all grain. Virtually across the board. Virtually, I think there's. I think I've heard of a few exceptions to that, but most of the it's time, it's a rare, rare yeah, exception. I yeah, think it's a it's rare exception. Safe, safe to say. But if you're brewing on a small scale and you're brewing for yourself or your family or your friends, 
an argument can be made in both directions because yeah. one's not so complex, one's a shorter process, and the other's more complex and gives you arguably more versatility, and you can do a little bit more with it. And uh, it's uh, it's it's a debatable topic, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, certain pieces of that for sure. Now, one thing I want to say is that yes, we are doing all grain in our own brewing, uh, and so. From our experience, like we say, it does give you more versatility. It does give you, you know, you can play with your own recipes. You can just grab grains off the shelf and make whatever you want. But I don't want anyone to get the feeling that we think that extract brewing is not real brewing or anything crazy like that. You know, it absolutely is. There's a bunch of guys in our in our clubs that that's what they make. They make extract brews. And they bring them every month. And they bring them every month, and they're great beers. And that some, you know, when you're when you're starting out, like like what we did this time, you get a kit, and yeah, everything's kind of pre-prescribed for you what you're gonna make. But if you go down to places like Brew and Grow or Chicago Brew Works, they have canisters of extract that you can just buy, and so you can make your own recipe out of different extracts and still have a little bit of that versatility but not have to worry about all the equipment necessary for all grain brewing. So let's, uh, let's, let's kind of focus in on the one point of, uh, of difference in the brewing process that the difference of these really, um, really magnifies itself. And that's the classic term that comes up in every brewing project, which is mashing. Mashing, yeah. So mashing is the process of soaking grains with some very hot water and draining it at that point and extracting a liquid that is very densely sugar filled. Mm-hmm. That, sh- that, that product right there is then boiled and then fermented with yeast where the yeast consume those sugars that are, that are pulled out of the grains. That's the, that's the matching process in the, all, in the all grain form. In the extract form, that's a step that you're pretty well skipping well you're not so much skipping is as someone else has done it for you okay okay good good point so an extract kit or extracts when you get them someone has mashed the the grains and then they distill that and um reduce it until you basically have just the sugars and you get concentrated beer sugars that that then become the extract and it looks a, a lot like molasses or maple syrup right and um depending on the color that the kind that you get you know and so they they distill that down and so they they've done that for you and then you just add that to the boil and then those sugars get added in there get the boil you get you get to still add the hops and everything and and you still get the beer it's worth saying too that it's a significant time saver to do extract brewing. Yes. Because you're opening up a can, you're pouring that into your hot water and starting a boil at that point. The alternative to that is you're soaking grains for a time period between 30 minutes and an hour, sparging after that to pull even more sugars out and starting a boil there. It's a difference in time of, I'd say an hour to an hour and a half easily. Sure, absolutely. So the the extract, like like we said, yeah, you, know, you kind of yeah add that to the boil, just like an addition, basically, with some water. Typically, not with as much water. So like in a five 
gallon kit, you'll start with two and a half gallons. And you'll add the extracts, you'll boil those, you'll add your hops, you'll do all that at two and a half gallons. And then at the end, you add more water to get up to five gallons, usually about two and a half to three gallons right. to get up to five gallons of water, you know, of, of then wort, you know. So um, it, it, it's, it's, it, the, the one thing I can say about extract brewing is it does not require nearly as much um, equipment. So you can, you can get away with having a pot, a bucket, and a spoon and still do extract brewing. Versus all grain where you're going to need a mash tun a hot liquor tank to store store and inventory some hot water. Um, install your false bottoms in those in those uh, brew tanks. Um, what else am I forgetting? <laughs> well, so, um, yeah, um, the, those oh, are oh the grains that you're going to be buying. The grains month. that you're going to be buying, and then subsequently disposing of and things right. like that. So, um, so yeah, so extract you do all that. You 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 add the Add the extra water to bring it up to the to the gallon marker that you're going for. You stick it in your fermenter, and then everything else is just the same. Exactly. So the que- I think a logical question, if uh, as a listener, I think that you may come to just hearing these details. Extract brewing is faster mm-hmm. and requires less equipment. It's probably tempting to ask the question, why would I go for all grain brewing? Yeah, and I th- and it's and it's a good question, and I th- and I think uh, I think we could have some unique answers. Before we do that, though, let's describe all grain brewing in in kind of detail. Good point. So all grain brewing, you start out with uh, uh, a mash tun, which in home brewing is quite often a cooler, like a like a igloo cooler that you'd find usually at a uh, a sports thing filled with Gatorade or even like a, a chest cooler that you have at a picnic. Um, it's got a false bottom, which is a wire net, or a copper manifold, which is a copper piping with uh, slices cut into it. Okay. And so, and I'll get to why that's the case for in a second. But then you add the grains in there, and then you do you steep you steep the grains there at a certain temperature. Now, when you're mashing, there's a lot that can go into that because if you mash at different temperatures, you get different types of beer. You get different bodies. You get different um, things in there as far as uh, uh, you know how much proteins you're pulling out, what types of proteins, what you're doing to it, and things like that. So. It's it's very much of a it can be a very intricate process and just a few degrees difference from say 150 degrees to 155 degrees can make all the difference in the world in what you're doing. So you're definitely looking at a much more complex process. And the range of those temperatures is really limited also in in, it is. in scale of pretty much any beer that you're doing. On the low end you have about 149 degrees Fahrenheit. And on the high end is 159. 159, yeah, exactly. exactly. And if you're going below that or you're going above that, you're going to have some problems. Yeah, so you got to be accurate. And, you know, there's, there's, there's things that you're going to learn, like when you put, 
If you if you boil water to 159 degrees because that's what you want it to be at in your mash and you put it in your grains, you're going to get water that's 130 some degrees because the mash tun itself and all those grains are going to suck the heat out of it. And those are room temperatures, so it only makes sense that you know you're going to have temperature loss. Right. You know, one's one thing is really hot, one's not so hot. So you're going to have to compensate for that and make your water that you're going to put in your mash tun hotter than what you want it to be when you're mashing your grains. So you go through, you mash your grains, you dump those out into a bucket, and then you do what's called sparging. There's a couple different ways you can sparge. There's batch sparging and there's fly sparging. And I think there's some others, but I don't really know them. Right. Batch sparging, which is what we do, where you take, you then take water that's close to 170 degrees and you put it on top of your now mashed grains after you've drained the water out. You let that sit for about 10 minutes and you drain that out as well. And that helps to pull any extra sugars out and actually there's uh, some extremely chemistry type reasons why that's what you would want to do. It actually stops the, the protein chains from forming and things like that and helps to um, jar those remaining sugars out of the grains to be able to uh, come out. So you look at this as basically a two-step process. Right. You drain out your mash liquid, you drain out your sparge liquid, you have both you have both of these extractions from, from the grain bed into your brew pot, and that's your wort. Yep. That's that's your wort right there, which you'd uh, you which you take to a boil. Absolutely. So I think back so, to my okay. Well hang on. Um, fly sparging on the other hand is when you're draining out your your initial mash wort into your into your brew kettle you drain it out much slower than you normally do because we're not looking to drain it all out right away. And then, and then you immediately replenish that water. You add water, water back in as you go. Right. So you're adding water to it from your from your sparge water into the mash as the initial mash water is draining out. Okay. And so that, that slow drain out plus the sparge water allows those sugars to, you know, do their thing get pulled out of the grains and get drained out into the wort. Right. So, why would a home brewer do this? Yeah, it's a good question. It is. What I ask sometimes of ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) It's more difficult, it's more time consuming, and one could argue, why, why, is it worth the trouble? I think both of us would answer yes. And I think the and I'm curious to hear your answer. We, we've not talked about this outside of the show. This is this is just a real time real time conversation now. Um, the I think the reasoning for why you do this is because the volume of beers that can be made from virtually any combination of grains that you could come up with really has no end, mm-hmm. and extract doesn't give you that versatility. Extract will allow you to make every official um, type of beer on the market. And it will allow you to play with those styles to a certain degree. Right. All grain will allow you to play with those styles to, uh, like you said, a near infinite degree. Right. So much more of a pain, but it's it's worth it in the long run so going backwards to our first segment if you wanted to make a french toast flavored beer (laughs) 
you're not going to find that in an extract kit. Just not going to come together. That is that's going to be a that's going to be a complex combination of all grain uh, of uh, all grain brewing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so when you're talking about the difference between extract and all grain, some some people look at it as you know basic versus versus advanced. Some people look at it as how much time do I have, how much equipment do I have, and how much am I willing to spend on this. And I think all of those are very legitimate and reasonable things to look at. Sure. For us, it makes sense. You know, we started doing all grain, uh, kind of didn't look back as it were, and um, and we're we're playing with styles and doing things and trying to teach you guys, you know, what you need to to kind of do what you want to do with the home brewing. Uh, but there's a number of people that uh, have kids, have families, and don't have time to do what we're doing and they just want to make a beer that they can bottle and drink absolutely and that is uh and that's something that i i as a home brewer i i applaud and say more power to you for sure for sure yeah regardless of your of your choice of the process yeah brewing is worth doing yeah for sure it's also a new concept that has come up in recent times called brewing a bag okay yeah, so this one is... I'm, I'm learning a lot about this for the very first time. We, <laughs> we did some version of this this past weekend with the, um, with the, uh, with the wooden, uh, wooden barrel stout. Um, outside of this, I really have no knowledge of this topic. So, George, you are the teacher, I'm the student. Okay. So, like I said, with the, with the bourbon barrel stout, we steeped some specialty grains in the boil. So we brought it up to, I think, 155 degrees and we steeped some of the grains in cheesecloth in the boil to impart some of their flavors for about 20 minutes. And so we did kind of a pseudo mash, uh, if you will, um, with those grains in, in, in the pre-boil. Boil in a bag takes that concept to an extreme. It takes, so we would take our entire grain bill, put it in a porous bag, and stick it in the brew bucket at the temperature that we want. So let's say we're going to do a mash at 153 degrees. We would you know, figure out what we need for compensation for temperature when we stick the grains in. And then we put the grains in and steep those grains in the, in the brew kettle for however long we wanted to, quote, mash them for. Uh, once that's done, take the grains out of the brew kettle, let them drain, and you have work. The only thing, as far as I know, that doesn't allow you to do is to do a sparge. Um, but at the same time, since you're steeping them in the grains and you're and you're able to pull those sugars out, it's then, somewhat of a, of a quasi mash at that point. Right. It's a little bit of a quasi mash, and it does not. It does. It may may or may not require it. So, um, but yeah. So then you steep those grains in the brew kettle take them out, you put them aside, and then you continue with your boil as normal. So it's uh, it's an interesting concept. A lot of people are using it as a way to be able to do all grain without having to invest in the equipment or at the time. And uh, and it seems to be effective for a lot of people. And it's it really sounds like you're kind of floating a middle ground between extract and all grain. Yeah. At that point, which no problem there at all. That's, I mean, it's, it's it, 
combination of both worlds. It's not all the way all grain. It's not you know limiting the to, to extract. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know if it's something that we'll end up doing, but it's something that I'm interested in, and I I would like to see done by uh, you know a home brewer, maybe during a a big brew day or something like that. I think that'd be interesting to see. This is a great topic to, uh, for the uh, for the website. If you haven't been to our website, a nice place to brew dot com, I, I think this is a this is a great conversation to have. Uh, yeah. Both the, the debate between extract and uh, and all grain, and the middle ground of this uh, of this brew bag. This is a totally new topic for me, um, so I'd be curious as to who out there is actively brewing using this technique. Yeah, and if you are, and if my conceptions of it, because like I said, I haven't done it, if my conceptions of brewing a bag are wrong, let us know. Um, log on to our Facebook page or or make leave a comment on uh, the podcast page once it's up, and you know, tell me, tell me, tell me if I'm I've got the whole concept of brewing a bag wrong and uh we'll be happy to correct it on the next episode very good very good well i'm going to throw out our social media pages real quick Uh, we're on facebook at a nice place to brew podcast page we're on uh, twitter at nice place to brew that's our twitter handle we're on instagram as a nice place to brew our website of course is uh, www.niceplacetobrew.com george did phenomenal work on that Oh please! <laughs> you're you're modest, my friend. It's no, it, it's a it's a solid solid page. Um, other thing I was going to mention: um, future shows. Um, the uh, our project for the next month, in addition to redoing the triple, which we will do according to recipe this time, um, we are going to make a pilsner. Yeah. Over the over the next month, we uh, beyond that, I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, I know in August, I think we're doing. <laughs> Well, so I know for the Pilsner, because the Pilsner recipe, we, we kind of didn't go crazy. We didn't add a whole bunch of stuff. I think our goal for the Pilsner is to make a Pilsner, like to make a spot on what you would expect a Pilsner to be. True. And so that's that's what we're going for for that. So we'll we'll be able to talk about that next time and uh, in the brew process for that. So we'll look forward to... to uh future shows we uh, look forward to hearing from you on our uh, social media pages and our website and uh, as we uh, as we always sign off it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer yep so that being said cheers <laughs>